0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie
2: Friday morning, the 15th of July. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reid on LMFM. Five months after Russia first invaded Ukraine, why are refugees sleeping on the floor of Dublin Airport? Obviously, there's nowhere else for them to go. The government says this is due to a number of reasons, one of which is the increase in the number of people arriving into Ireland seeking sanctuary, seeking sanctuary, from the war. We think this may be related to
0: the increased targeting of civilian uh, infrastructure across Ukraine. We saw 12 dead last night in a, a missile attack on a, on, a, on a city in in West Ukraine. We're still
2: responding to a wartime situation. Let's not forget uh, that this began on the 24th of February.
0: My department has been working very closely with other agencies, with the OPW, with the HSC, with the Department of Defence, in terms of providing emergency accommodation for people who are arriving right now. So our target in terms of that emergency accommodation is to provide accommodation for the people who are in Dublin Airport right now and also to reduce the numbers in City West. Obviously, places like Bagot Street, they need to be brought online as well, but they won't give us that emergency capacity that we're searching for right now.
2: Just over 40,000 Ukrainians have arrived here over the last five months. So, what has been done?
0: We have um, over 2,000 uh, Ukrainian um, displaced persons accommodated in pledged accommodation at the moment, both vacant and uh, and, uh, and and shared accommodation, and that number is growing. It's not growing fast enough, I recognise that.
2: Well, that would seem to be stating the obvious minister. Roderick O'Gorman also told the doll yesterday that the crisis in funding accommodation for Ukrainian refugees has been been compounded by the number of people arriving here in recent days from other countries who are seeking asylum.
0: International protection is incredibly important, and we have to make sure there's confidence and strength in that system. Because, as we know, there are people fleeing the war in Afghanistan, in in uh, in, in in Yemen, in Syria, who really need the support of international protection. And that's why, on top of, uh, or as well as our provision of accommodation for your Ukrainians, we are now accommodating 12,000 people. There has been a very significant increase in international protection applicants. There's a range of factors Uh, post-COVID. I would argue that the changes in the UK in terms of their policy as well has also had a significant impact.
2: Let's speak to Brian Cloran, who's the CEO of uh, the Immigrant Council of Ireland. A very good morning to you, Brian, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. I suppose the reality of uh, the situation came to light yesterday morning, but I I think many of us are are still in a state of disbelief. What are your thoughts on this?
3: Good morning, Michael. Yeah, um, I think um, those of us in civil society that have been working closely on the issue since The 24th of February essentially um, have been sounding maybe the alarm bells about this for the last number of weeks. Um, And I think most of us thought it would probably happen in August because the student accommodation, in particular, that's been used for accommodating Ukrainians in in a very short term measure during the summer, uh, a lot of that is due to go offline kind of halfway through August because some of the students will start returning. Now, they might get a little bit more out of that because the CEO results. The AO results have have been delayed slightly. But we thought, I suppose, that, that there would be a crunch in August. I don't think any of us necessarily thought it would happen this soon, but I think it has been in the pipeline for quite some time. Mm. Um, I think the Minister's comments there in in the clips that you were playing uh, prior to our our conversation here, um, they kind of describe, I suppose, the landscape um, as has been in that. He mentioned, you know, an emergency response a number of times. So the state's approach has been couched very much in an emergency response. And as an emergency response, it's been exceptional, you know, to go from a standing start to, to what has been done to address the needs of over 40,000 Ukrainians in that time has been exceptional but I suppose one of the problems has been that what should have started from the start as well is the planning around the medium to long term um, housing options and accommodation options and integration options ultimately for Ukrainians as well and that was very slow to start so it's still Mm. couched in terms of There's been
2: a bit of good luck though as well though Brian has there not as we heard there from the Minister 2,000 people are in shared accommodation that's out of uh, the 40,000 people who are in this country and we were told to, to anticipate two hundred thousand people coming here.
3: Well, that's it. You know, back in and, the early and for,
2: forty thousand should have been here by Easter. Just to add that into the 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 mix of uh, what are we being told here? Question
3: yeah uh, exactly That in the early days that did, those were the projections somewhere between one hundred hundred and fifty two thousand two hundred thousand um and th- and that is the reality in, in in a huge amount of European countries if you take you know somewhere like the Czech Republic is over three hundred thousand people mm. at the moment and more in places like Poland um we are on the furthest extremity of Europe here and the furthest away in Europe from the conflict so I think it has transpired that we 've seen that the, you know in reality the smallest impact in terms of movement of people from Ukraine in mm. Europe. But at the same time, for us, a large enough number, even, even in 40,000, when you think, like, in terms of migration to Ireland in any given year, you know, in net migration, if you take, take away those who leave Ireland, we see about 30,000 new people arrive in Ireland every year um, mm-hmm. in net migration. So this is a doubling of that and then some. So it is, it is a large number of people, but, but some of the problem has been, I suppose, is that while we focused extensively and almost entirely on an emergency response, you know, any of us that work in migration from day one, we're saying, you know, migration is very seldom temporary, and this mm. conflict is huge. This oh. is not going to
2: go away anytime oh, soon. Oh, really? <laughs> I, and I take it uh, it's temporary, coming from more situations. You'll have to forgive me for being cynical, Brian, because uh, I, I'm listening to the response from government into what, or, uh, to what uh, is a deplorable situation uh, where the best solution. Uh, for stopping people sleeping on the floor of an airport is to put them into tents on Monday in Gormanston. Uh, And we're hearing things like, um, we're doing the best we can in an emergency. We didn't know the war was going to go on so long. Uh, and uh, that we've done an awful lot so far. But uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, in reality, what's happened is that we've taken 40,000 people into the country. Uh, That was expected to have happened by Easter. 200,000 people overall was uh, the projected estimate uh, at the highest end, uh, and we were to prepare for that. Uh, We've managed to find accommodation for 2,000 people, uh, and uh, apart from that, uh, we have uh, more people arriving into the country every day They managed to get people out of the airport yesterday into City West, but it's close to 200, I think, there again this morning. And the situation in Mosney is one that you'll have up to 350 beds available, possibly on Monday. You'd imagine that there'll be more people arriving into the country than that figure come Monday.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Like, it is is a crisis situation, without a doubt, because... You know, um, as as I said, the the failure in this has been to, in parallel to doing the emergency response, put in place kind of how we're going to manage this in three months time and six months time and nine months time. And this is going to go on for 18 to 24 months, probably at the very least, Mm -hmm. uh, being honest, you know. And the
2: the government knew that uh, five months ago and the government knew that even if it was over, that in many of these towns uh, that have been flattened, people can't return home.
3: Absolutely, yeah, and and you know the the significant level of trauma as well that people are exhibiting now when when they're coming from Ukraine, like because those who have left in more recent weeks have had to endure the situation there for longer, you know, and they have come from those areas that have been essentially bombarded during that time as well. So the support needs are enormous. Like one of the things we did at the very start was get together civil society. We said, okay, what we can control maybe is we can, we can t- talk to all our partners and allies in civil society, and we put together a forum. Of, it's about 65 organizations now across the country mm. that are providing support to Ukrainians. And really, to be quite honest, Um, the the civil society and community groups across the country are doing a huge amount of work in support of Ukrainians in the absence really of any plan beyond the emergency response from the government you know Mm. the local authorities are kicking in a bit now in terms of local coordination and there's a bit of an improvement there in the last couple of weeks but it's still very piecemeal and very fragmented
2: Is the the British policy uh, feeding into this are asylum seekers coming here rather than the UK for fear of being sent to Rwanda?
3: The difficulty with the assertion around that is that there's no evidence of it. You mm. know, it's, it's anecdotal. It's a feeling that maybe that's what's happening. Maybe there's an impact. And, and if the government have any hard data to, to to kind of provide information on that, it would be kind of, I think, really important to back mm. up their statement with that hard data. Because obviously there's, there's a couple of things at play that may have some impact on it. But it also is on the back of two years of COVID. We have to remember that people couldn't travel. So during the last two years, those seeking international protection had very, very limited options to leave the situations they were in or to leave even if they were in another European country or a country just beside Europe to travel anywhere else. So I think I think there's a, a number of factors at play. And to be honest, you, you look back over the last 20 years, international protection numbers go up and down. Yeah. And they go up and down based on what happens in countries and, and pressures and political pressures, outbreaks of conflict, even threats of conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not unusual at all for, for international protection numbers to go up and down. And I think overall, like if we, if we pull back a little bit from the current circumstances, it's really symptomatic of um, an Irish... Failure, I think in the last 20 years to look at migration properly. You know, we've yeah. reacted to migration. We're continually surprised by it. We're continually on the back foot about it. And when it comes to things like reforming international protection, reform- getting rid of direct provision, reforming yeah. our immigration policy, planning ahead for immigration, Thinking it through, there's been a real absence of that, and it's on, it's on a low political priority. They want people, and um, I think the overarching emphasis has been, you know, people can come here. We need workers for the economy, but you don't, you know, you don't get a worker. You get a person. You get a person with a family. And there's also migration is diverse. Yeah. There's students. There's international protection. And um, so we really have to, you know, on the back of all of this, we have to rethink how we do migration and integration in this country. And uh, you know, these are conversations we've had with Minister O'Gorman. I think he absolutely sees that. That, but I think getting the political buy-in hmm. around the cabinet table for that, this situation, to be honest and not to be cynical, has to be, uh, um, you know, the kick in the rear that is needed to, to actually point to the fact that migration is a reality. And we
2: need to plan for it. I, I won't ask you uh, about spoofing or if there has been spoofing, I will ask you about the Irish Times poll, but uh, I, I do want to say to our listeners that I think there's been uh, an element of uh, political spoofing going on from uh, the outset uh, because we were told that we could be taking in hundred or 200,000 refugees into this country. What have we got today, five months on? We've got a- accommodation for 2,000 people. What the government was hoping for was that Ukrainians living in here would take in family members or indeed uh, some of uh, their um, people when they arrived here or relying on the goodwill of Irish people to take people in here and and that was going to be the solution. Now we're being told, uh, of course, uh, that we weren't expecting so many people or for it to go on as long uh, as possible. So when you look at the uh, figure of 2,000 people with 40,000 people in the country, uh, we haven't managed to get accommodation for 38,000 or if you look at that figure of 200,000. We haven't managed to get accommodation for 198,000 of the 200,000 that could have come here. That isn't the case, of course. It's just 40,000. But most people do believe that we should live up to our international obligations. This is this Irish Times poll today, which I'm sure you're very encouraged by, Brian. 82% believe that that is the case. But on the other hand, and this relates back to the point whether it was spoofing or ill-judged or whatever, 84% of people believe that there is a limit to the number of people who we can cope with in this country?
3: Yeah, I, I think, you know, first of all, like the the, the positive sentiment um, exhibited in that poll in terms of what we can do as a country internationally to accept kind of difficult situations and, and, and welcome people in is great to see maintained and and if anything that that number is extremely high you know and i think that's very very positive i think you know in in polls of this nature it can be a little bit black and white the second follow-on question of whether or not there's a limit to what we can do that's a very open-ended question and that needs an awful lot of interpretation you know if you ask people you know can this be endless can this be limitless And you know that that is essentially most people would be inclined to say, well, no, it can't be limitless, it can't be completely endless. But I think I think if if you if you look at you know what's been exhibited in that, most people think we have the capacity to do it. Most people think we can do it. And being realistic, then founding it back in where we are in Europe, where we are likely to receive. The number of people who are likely to receive it essentially shows that we can do it. You know what I mean? We're not. If we were to deal with what Poland is dealing with right now, with hundreds of thousands of people, that would be that would be an extremely mm. difficult or situation.
2: Three hundred and fifty thousand in Czechoslovakia, which uh, has a, a smaller land mass than the island of, of Ireland. Uh, but what about uh, the idea of people in tents in Gormanston uh, The Minister for Justice, Alan McIntyre, told us yes, they they will be safe uh, because uh, I think there is concern about women and children being housed in tents. In a field, if you like, Um, but she said they will be safe because they'll be uh, living on an army base. Uh, But does that mean that they'll be under armed lock and key? That the gates will be closed and the security will be provided by members of the defence forces? Apart from living in tents, that's far from ideal, isn't it?
3: It is absolutely like, and and I suppose just it's it's this is the most recent iteration of the very temporary and very varied manner in which um, we've been housing Ukrainian people in particular since February like, like you were saying earlier about the 2000s if that is pledged accommodation there's another whole 20 something thousand that are in different types of congregated settings and hotels and things like that and to be quite honest again all of us from the very start have been saying there's massive security concerns and all of that in congregated settings, how do, you, uh, how do you apply safety standards, how do you apply care and well-being standards to a group of people who are very vulnerable and very traumatised the same is true of hotels and worse again, essentially for 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 tented accommodation, like that has to be an absolute temporary, temporary emergency measure. Like so, that, so the real, you know, you, you mm. worry about the political buy-in to the fact that we absolutely have to put everything behind now how we get how we get past this crisis as quickly as possible and get into a better accommodation situation,
2: situation. Yeah, but given the numbers it's going to be oversubscribed before it's even uh, uh, open to refugees isn't it the reality yeah. is
3: the reality is government will take probably about two days worth of ukrainians coming <laughs> okay. into the country if, if we're realistic so, hmm. so these are all small solutions small temporary solutions and. Um, that we can't let become permanent solutions, by the way, as well. We've seen the experience from direct provision over the last 20-something years that something that was put in temporarily ended up being a permanent policy. We can't fall into that trap again here as well. Mm -hmm. So it needs an exceptional level of response. Like, we've called upon the government to pull the trigger on the white paper recommendations around direct provision, where they talk about setting up a refugee Mm -hmm. agency in Ireland. If that had been done 12 months ago when the white paper came out over 12 months ago now, if that had been started, we'd be in a much better situation now to be able to systematically respond to this situation, you know. Yeah, or,
2: or to have somebody to coordinate it, which I, I know that uh, you're yeah. calling for as well, to have full and complete responsibility uh, for the coordination of, of all of this. Uh, so but it
3: we need somebody whose job it is um, every day to focus just yeah. on this issue because the government is dealing with multiple crises and this has fallen down the ladder in terms
2: of priority. It would seem to be the case. We leave there for the moment. Brian, thanks as always for joining us on the program. Brian Clauren is uh, the CEO of the Immigrant Council. Of Ireland. Michael, Michael Reed on,
4: on LMFM.
2: FM. Now, if you're waiting for a hip replacement or to have a cataract uh, removed, uh, I'm sure you know a lot about waiting lists or indeed uh, there may be uh, another pr- uh, surgery uh, that you're waiting on because waiting lists in this country can be very, very long. Part of the solution is a brand new, state-of-the-art, 64-bed hospital in Alicante, which will treat 1,500 Irish patients, they estimate, who travel to Spain to have uh, these surgeries done under the EU cross-border directive. Let's talk to Stephen McMahon, who's a spokesperson for the Irish Patients Association. Good morning to you, Stephen, and thanks for joining.
5: Good, us. Good morning, Michael.
2: What, what, what do you make of this?
5: Well, certainly this is to be welcome insofar as that it's an additional um, resource there that uh, can help um, give Irish patients operations uh, and particularly when they've been waiting so long to get access to the Irish healthcare system but the 60 beds is really just a drop in the ocean I mean there are many other hospitals throughout Europe it wasn't just uh, Spain but like people are going to France and Germany and um, and Poland and so on yeah. um, uh, and Belfast the, and, and indeed Belfast yeah. uh, specifically yeah. we've seen the buses going yeah. up there from the yeah. Kerry area um, busloads of people getting cataracts um, uh, done, you know. Now I think the important thing here is that for your listeners to realise that this is a right, this is, a, this is it. This has been established mm. by the European Court of Justice, um, a right to be able to get treatment in a member state. Yeah. Now the catch is that when you go to a particular hospital to have your hip or whatever other procedure, I mean there are some 30 odd specialties as you pointed out there. There are many others other than just simply hips but like that you have to cover the cost of that uh, your travel and your Mm -hmm. hotel uh, and all you're getting reimbursed for is the actual cost of the procedure and in some cases the overnight stays Mm -hmm. that some people might have to do. You'll also
2: have to pay for the procedure won't you and then get reimbursed.
5: Well you see that's the catch I mean you know there are Mm -hmm. the European Commission did uh, produce a paper earlier this year now it's quite a lengthy piece I haven't Studied at all, but basically, what the uh, what what the EU is is trying to do is to streamline it. So, in other mm. words, instead of the individual patient having to um, submit all the forms to the um, cross border office in Kilkenny, uh that they that the individual health systems would actually be able to tick tack with each other, similar to say BHI or Leia mm. or whatever paying on behalf of members hospitals that do treatments for their members and mm-hmm. you would have a, a similar sort of um, arrangement within the within the um within the, uh, the cross-border mm-hmm. directive mm-hmm. and again it's important to point out that really the goal of this should be um, all about patience um, with needs, yeah. not patients with means so even some patients may not have the family supports or even the financial resources to be able to get the old Ryanair or Lingus to wherever it is
2: and pay the may not there. be physically <laughs> able <laughs> may, I, I, may, so may not have the m- I mean, money up know, front may not be able to get a, a, a loan there's all sorts of reasons why people won't do this and they be left languishing on the waiting list while other people have the wherewithal to skip by them on those lists.
5: True and and this is why you know in the, in in the in our in our healthcare system I mean you know there are issues there um, and yeah. again within the commission they're sort of looking to try and remove barriers um, in a diplomatic way amongst member states that maybe you know um Pre having to get pre-clearance for your particular procedure, if it has an overnight, uh, could in actual fact act as a deterrent for somebody to actually make the submission and so on uh, mm-hmm. to get that. Can I just give out a, a, one um, e- email address, I yeah, important sure, yeah. for your listeners? The office, the the, the national contact point, as far as is, uh, the email would be cross border at hse.ie, or in the old way, the phone number <laughs> is oh five six. 77845460567784546 and I would suggest to any of your listeners there that have been waiting a long time more than mm. 6 months to get their operation or indeed it, it is possible to actually get your outpatient appointment where you know we have something in the region of what or 600,000 people waiting for their first mm. consultant appointment that certainly the, 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 the 175,000 that are made, waiting more than 12 months mm. that there could be opportunities to have that um, have that uh, consultation um, maybe in the north or in, in some private facilities but again I would suggest yeah. that they call the, the HSE's um, office there Sure,
2: um, Stephen as you said it's a right it's a right that all citizens of the European Union have and in the same way our listeners this morning can travel to Alicante to have a procedure carried out. Uh, Somebody uh, from Spain could travel to an Irish hospital if uh, the waiting lists were longer in Spain than they are here. Uh, But... Uh, surely there's a, a better solution to build a 64 bed hospital here uh, so that people didn't, people didn't have to travel to Alicante, they didn't have to um, do any of uh, these things that incur expenses uh, and they wouldn't have to pay the money up front that the HSE would just pay for it but having said that there's probably a significant saving for the HSE in all of this because if you take bariatric surgery, uh, for example, which is quite popular at the moment, uh, and this has to do with weight loss uh, and you might get a a band uh, on your stomach or something like that. Uh, If you get that done here, uh, I think you'd be waiting maybe seven or ten years and it probably cost about €10,000 when you finally do get it done. That costs obviously for the HSE, but if you get it done overseas uh, and get reimbursed under this cross-directive, the HSE will only end up spending about €5,000.
5: Well, you know, this is they will only reimburse for the, the value or the cost that it would cost the Irish healthcare system to have it done here in the public system. Um, and there are some private facilities here that could, I'm sure, absorb some of those um, mm. surgeries that you're talking about, particularly in the area of bariatric to reduce those huge wait times. I mean, the quality of life change can be quite dramatic for people that, you know, really need such surgeries and indeed any surgery. But the thing is, you make a valid point there, the ideal is to have those facilities here in Ireland. And I mean, there is talk now uh, building custom-made uh, uh, elective surgery or operation um, units that they will only handle um, people who are yeah. on, the, uh, on the waiting list for various uh, surgeries and so on. But the thing here is, in Ireland, the problem is that you might get an appointment I'm sure you've heard it from your listeners, to go in on Monday morning for a hip operation and then to arrive on the day and to be told then, sorry, we have to cancel it because there's overcrowding in the ET department. So the benefit of actually having it done abroad or whatever is that it will be done, that the chances of a cancellation are going to be pretty slim because it's such a streamlined uh, process. And that's what we need in our health system. But Mm. again, Michael, I just say, you know, that for anybody that's there, if anybody has family members that have been waiting a long time for the hips or surgeries, sure. to contact their GP in the first place to see about getting the various referrals mm. and to do the uh, the costings. There are organisations out there that will actually help them, uh, you know, do the administrative um, trail and so on. Absolutely. And, and I,
2: I know I'd be top of uh, the list uh, I- I- if I could afford it, if I could travel and so on, because nobody wants to be left languishing with these problems for as long as people are in this country. But at the same time, it's terribly unfair on those who can't afford it and those uh, who can't travel like this.
5: Well, I I fully agree with you. Um, But I suppose, in a way, and I mean, uh, um, you know, like, if somebody gets the operation abroad... You know, it does shorten the list here. It gets somebody off the list here, and hopefully that that would move somebody up a bit quicker. But again, for the point of view of the people that can't afford it, that actually need it, and would benefit from it, and would be happy to travel, well, then I think the state through the social welfare system or something must be able to, uh, you know, support them to have that right. So there's equity in the process. Mm. There's no point in having, you know, the European Court of Justice declaring for all the citizens within the European Union that you have this right if we can't actually deliver it when it's actually needed by mm. people in need.
2: OK, but it, I, I, I'm not sure that the logic uh, behind uh, the directive uh, is to build hospitals in other countries to export uh, your waiting list, uh, because... Uh, no, I, it's I, not. It was no. built
5: out of... I mean, it, it came from a case of... of I think it was uh, citizens in Luxembourg that wanted to go to Brussels. I mean, mm. there's a lot more cross-border activity on mainland Europe of course, yeah. um, mm. than there is between mm. Ireland and mainland and now that the UK, because it is left with Brexit, um, that option now has, has has gone. So, you know, I, I think we still have an arrangement with the north of Ireland. But the mm-hmm. the issue here is that, um, that there's a lot going on in Europe between them having done the e-health programs, e-prescriptions for getting prescriptions recognized in different member states. Just make sure your GP, that... You, that GP knows you're going to get it filled in another member state and and then the whole European reference network for people with rare disorders so there's a lot happening in the EU you know, on an EU level that I think including this cross-border directive uh, in the end actually will be good for patients in Ireland and and elsewhere
2: Okay, Stephen, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning Stephen McMahon is a spokesperson for the Irish Patients Association Uh, I think a lot of people have a, a lot of questions uh, about uh, a purpose-built hospital in Spain, whatever, uh, about your right uh, to have a procedure carried out overseas if the waiting list is so long here that you're left a, a long time. So that uh, instead of waiting that long time, you travel to where the waiting lists. are are not as long. That makes sense. There's no doubt about it. And that undoubtedly is the logic of the EU directive. But to build a purpose-built hospital in Spain for Irish patients, 1,500 Irish patients every year, I think begs real questions because uh, there's a number of issues. Uh, You will go uh, and undoubtedly not wait that length of time if you can afford your flight, uh, your food and the cost of the procedure. This will cost you thousands. Yes, the HSE will reimburse you when you return for the cost of the procedure, so long as it is less or uh, certainly no more than what uh, it would cost the HSE to replace your hip or whatever the case may be. Uh, But you have to have that money up front and then claim it back. Uh, And not a lot of people will be able to travel. And the other issue is that quite often it will give the HSE savings, that it will result in savings for the HSE, that it'll be cheaper to replace a hip or remove a cataract or whatever the case may be in Spain than it would be for the HSE to do it here. So it'll cost the HSE less. So if that's the case, should they not be paying as well then for your flight and whatever else is involved, your accommodation and so on? I I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, uh, but perhaps uh, there's some people who will be uh, very happy to think that they can finally... uh, imagine a day when they can walk again or see again because uh, some of these procedures are as important as that and they're very quickly done uh, unless you're waiting for them to be done Anyway, as always we'd love to hear from you today Michael
4: Reed
2: on LMFM Well there's no doubt the internet is a wonderful thing certainly at times and Andrew Purfield is listening to LMFM in uh, the Czech Republic uh, this morning getting a a flavour of what's going on at home. Thanks uh, for your WhatsApp message, Andrew Perfield. He's living along uh, the Czech Polish border in an area called Ostrava, I think it is. Uh, And he says the reason why our moronic politicians and officials are forcing Ukrainians into a tent city in Gormanston or a dilapidated Mosny prefab is because our officials and politicians are as ever beyond useless and couldn't manage a good crap. Let's face it, he says 400,000 are being housed competently here in the Czech Republic and 3 million plus in Poland next door proportionately speaking 40,000 in Ireland is like 1% of the Polish numbers and 12% of the Czech numbers we have more space in Ireland and a lower population density but let's face it we aren't a first world country everything from the health system to the housing system in Ireland is a disaster And below European norms. I feel very sorry for anyone who went to Ireland looking for help, not realising just how backwards and useless our state is. One of the strongest comments we've had in a very long time. Thank you very much, Andrew Purfield, WhatsApping us from Ostrava in the Czech Republic, along the Czech Polish border, originally from Drohda now a lot of people in touch with us uh, today uh, saying uh, they don't need uh, saying that we, we shouldn't be taking in as many refugees uh, as we are somebody whatsapping us saying uh, they need help uh, but uh, no one is saying that they don't need help uh, but what about people in this country uh, who are homeless uh, and on the street at times uh, thanks for that uh, a call to us from Peter Indrada Uh, who says that the government is going to give you back your money after the surgery. This is to do with uh, the European Cross Directive. And he, he says... Uh, how's that going to work if, if well it's the HSE Peter he says they're going to give you the money back you claim it back but how long after do you have to wait hopefully not as long as you would for a COVID payment to the nurses my partner only got uh, theirs last week after two years uh, well thanks uh, Peter for that uh, and uh, t- t- uh, an opportunistic comment uh, but a good point nonetheless uh, Martin and Navin says I've never heard the likes expecting people to travel to Spain for routine surgeries build the hospitals here Uh, another comment about refugee accommodation from Brian, who's in Ashburn. And he says, I remember politicians being on your show months ago saying they doubt if Gormanston would... Ever be needed to to accommodate refugees, but now that's coming to pass. What concerns me is that in uh, the middle, it's in the middle, Gormanston is in the middle of nowhere with no nearby facilities or services. They won't have transport. So how will these people even be able to shop? Um, I think they're going to have meals handed up to them by the army. I'm not sure how it's all going to work, uh, but thank you uh, indeed. It's um, a very worrying situation. I think some of us uh, are very disturbed by it. uh, But uh, thanks uh, to those of you who've been in touch with us so far today. Michael Reed on on LMFM. Now, what about all of those empty, derelict buildings uh, that people complain about all of uh, the time? Well, the government is uh, to spend uh, about 50 million euro in the hope that it will encourage people to renovate uh, those very buildings. Let's speak to Peter Burke, who's Minister of State at uh, the Department of Housing. A very good morning to you, Minister, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Grants of up to 30,000 to begin with. That could go up as high as 50,000 euro. Indeed, people could avail of grants as high as uh, almost 80,000 euro.
6: Good morning, Mike, and to your listeners. Yes, indeed, uh, we have two mechanisms. Obviously, those who have derelict properties, there will be a grant of up to uh, 50,000 euro. And obviously, that will be uh, delivered through the local authority, the vacant homes officer uh, within the local authority. And secondly, for your vacant homes, it's up to €30,000. And those grants can be added to with the SEAI grant uh, for retrofitting and putting in key insulation uh, mechanisms into the property increase, the uh, BER rating, and the maximum grant of that is around €26,000. So that can be added to it as well. That gives the first-time buyer or the potential owner some more resources to free some of those costs and bringing the uh, BER rating up mm. or in terms of the building regulations as well.
2: Okay. <laughs> well, I take it it's a zero BER rating, if you like, uh, if you're going to get uh, as much as uh, the 76,750 euro that's uh, available to you. Uh, but uh, what are, are, are the terms and conditions? I, I mean, it's a, a lot of money to be getting almost 80,000 euro off the government to invest in a, a property.
6: Absolutely. Uh, But as we all know, as we go around our towns and villages and directly through the intervention of our town's first programme, there's a huge problem with dereliction and vacancy. And this is the government saying this is the carrot now for potential homeowners to give them that opportunity of getting their first home. And we're putting significant resources to do that. So Mm. conditionality is very clear that if a property is derelict uh, and has been derelict for more than two uh, years, Um, Essentially, uh, what can happen is that the local authority will come out and inspect the property, they give you a pre-authorisation certificate. Uh, for doing the work, so the commitment of the local authority will contribute whatever portion is certified. Once the works are done, the local authority uh, will pay the applicant. And again, for vacancy, uh, it's a similar process whereby the local authority it would inspect uh, the I work.
2: Take there is I Take it that there is a, a definition of dereliction uh, and uh, that the declaration from Absolutely. the council will have to meet that definition.
6: Absolutely mm-hmm. so. Uh, for dereliction, in the first instance, the property must have been built before 1993. Uh, And secondly, uh, it must be structurally unsound uh, certified by uh, an engineer.
2: Okay. Um, Will you be able to make it structurally sound with €50,000?
6: It will go some of the way. Uh, I think uh, it's very clear that as I go around the country, even with so many commercial properties, remember we can use this for commercial uh, properties as well in terms of bringing them into residential because we've put in a whole host of planning exemptions now, which we included pubs most uh, recently in terms of bringing them into residential units if you intend to use it as your principal private residence i think it will help defray your building regulation costs and a lot of uh, escalation in the uh, labor and cost market at the moment for materials um, so it will be a big assistance i think at the moment we're focusing as i said on the carrots obviously in terms of the stick coming down the line with the forthcoming budget we're looking strongly at the uh, vacant homes tax and measures like that, but yeah. I do think it will be an assistance. Uh, obviously, you know, a government has so many competing uh, problems and issues it's trying to fund every single day, but I do think this will help, Michael.
2: I, I'd imagine there would be a lot of interest I- in it. Uh, is it just for first-time uh, buyers uh, who use it as uh, their uh, own residence, their principal res- residence?
6: No, it's linked to using it as your principal private residence. Obviously, in terms of the initial phase of it, uh, we will be trying to prioritise first-time buyers and those who are looking for a second chance in life be it uh, through a divorce or or something like that has happened uh, in their lives, Uh, but also it will be open to others. Uh, just want to be clear about that it is open to others and we will be doing properties uh, for people who are intending to use it as their principal private residence it's directly linked to the purchaser
2: Okay, Uh, it won't be uh, available to developers, I take it
6: Absolutely not, no. Developers uh, is a different mechanism we're looking at, and that's cree Kona, Town, sorry, cree Kona has City funds, which is looking at the viability issue of building apartments in our cities. So that is a separate mechanism.
2: Okay. Uh, and um, is there something to stop people availing of these grants and then flipping the properties?
6: Absolutely. So there's a, a clawback mechanism attached to the condition of the grant. So you must uh, live in the uh, property as a... Uh, your full principal private residence for five years after uh, having uh, the work carried out. And secondly, if you sell it uh, w- before a 10-year period, uh, there will be uh, a clawback as well.
2: All right. And um, what's that clawback?
6: The clawback is varied. Uh, it's uh, 100% uh, of the value up to, uh, of the works up to five years. And if you sell it uh, from five to 10 years, uh, it's 75%.
2: Mm, okay, well that's uh, quite significant. Uh, so I suppose uh, it, it is uh, 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 a case of uh, there being assurances uh, in place. Uh, how long is the scheme open for Minister?
6: So it's open now and will continue to be open hopefully uh, next year and uh, hopefully it will be a significant uptake for us. Um, we're hoping with uh, a half a billion euro and actually the total Cree Corner Fund we've been allocated an initial 50 million euro for the rest of this year for this uh, programme because it will be, take time for people to get their applications in and for the certification and verification etc and we have our full time vacant homes officers now that all local authorities should have, that was mandated by uh, the end of June because some of the local authorities were sharing tasks for uh, the, the vacant homes officer and priority was being lost so we're hoping that local authorities will drive this and we will be watching to ensure that it is working for people.
2: Uh, Have you much confidence in the local authorities driving it? uh, Because it is indicative of a a crisis uh, that we've uh, become very familiar with in in this country. Housing is a a big problem. And uh, one sign of that is what's happening in Dublin Airport uh, over the last couple of mornings. And uh, the local authorities haven't been very proactive in their roles, have they, in terms of providing housing for refugees?
6: I do have confidence in them. Uh, obviously, with the crisis of people arriving, uh, you know, it is very, very significant. You have over five hundred people arriving a week, uh, and I think uh, it's four to one, being uh, one being from Ukraine and three being from uh, almost uh, some other jurisdictions. So it's, it's or four being from another jurisdiction. Sorry, so it's a very, very difficult challenge for the government, uh, especially with the um, UK Rwandan policy as well, which has made it even more uh, difficult and challenging.
2: You so don't know that, though, Minister. The solutions to that. Pardon? I say you don't know that it's made it more difficult
6: Oh absolutely has because the numbers have escalated rapidly since that decision Mm. Uh, so we can monitor uh, the numbers.
2: Immigrant Council of Ireland disputed that this morning Uh, I mean they say that perhaps you have a a sense that that's the case but there's no real evidence that it is the case that that's the reason why people are coming here because they say that you get surges uh, at different times of the year uh, 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 all of the time when it comes to immigration.
6: No, I think we need to be absolutely clear here. Uh, the surge is nothing that like we've ever seen before uh, in terms of numbers coming in every week. Nothing that we've seen before. And that's pre- presented a huge challenge. The teacher got a press conference yesterday mm. at Government Buildings when launching this fund. Uh, I was with him at it, and he detailed uh, the numbers that have totally escalated uh, in the last uh, number of weeks. So it is very significant, and we have to try and do our best as a state to adjudicate on those uh, Uh, permissions to remain in the state as quickly as we can. We have to sharpen Mm. up on that practice and hopefully uh, those who are most vulnerable and need that support that they get it. But it is a challenge. I think we have to be honest about that.
2: Well, it's beyond a challenge. Uh, It's been a a dismal failure, has it not, so far? If you think that there's 40,000, almost 41,000 Ukrainians in the country, we provided accommodation for 2,000 of those. We were expecting 40,000 people to come to this country by Easter, and we were told to anticipate up to 200,000 people from Ukraine alone to come seeking refuge in this country.
6: No, we have accommodated our Ukrainian citizens and the public have been and uh, organizations have been exceptional in them providing that. And indeed, uh, the president of their country acknowledged that. And I know in my own community that we have absolutely very high quality accommodation available to them. Uh, and we're continuing to do that and we're continuing to meet the challenge that they have accommodation. And uh, we've brought in hundreds of new uh, of public um, properties uh, mm. in our councils and other state agencies which are now being utilised and we have more to be to, to come on the way in terms of work that has to be carried out. Uh, on we've them. secured so places for
2: 2,000 people Minister Pardon? We've secured places for 2,000 people.
6: We've, we've secured more for more, for more than 2,000 people well, in terms of our, share- our authority led system.
2: Well, well when you take out the hotels and B&Bs uh, and emergency accommodation uh, it's 2,000 people in shared accommodation isn't it?
6: No, it's, in terms of um, the local authority system, I think they've brought in a, a ra- around 3,000 properties uh, into use that there are 3,000 families uh, from Ukraine that they've brought into use. So that's quite significant. And there's another 4,000 uh, on the way in terms of work that has to be carried out. is quite significant to bring them back into a standard which will be able to take families.
2: Okay, well... Still in all, uh, you're talking about what then? 5,000 all told to have been accommodated uh, on a long-term basis out of 40,000 and we were told to anticipate 200,000?
6: Yeah, I can't say exactly what figures are going to uh, come in for sure, uh, Michael, in relation to the future. Uh, but we have to do all that we can to meet that massive demand. And it was your
2: party leader who said it would be could be as many as 200,000. Uh, people yeah. will remember uh, vividly Leo Radger making that statement. And we, people will remember your party leader and the leader of Fianna Fáil telling us that this war will go on for years. There should be no surprises in this.
6: Well, oh, absolutely. There's no surprise in terms of the numbers are hard to predict and it could have been...
2: Well, they're not that hard Tom, to predict. Have you been near City West recently? Because if you, go, if you go along the streets there, it's where there was an All Ireland on because there's so many people walking around because the hotel is full to capacity. And you're talking about an awful lot of people who don't have cars, so they're walking along in, the streets.
6: 70% in that hotel are not Ukrainian citizens. So that's the reality in the first place. Seventy percent are not Ukrainian citizens. So that's the big challenge the state is grappling with. We are doing our very best in terms of the surge and if Kiev had been taken over, no one to predict that. If Kiev had been taken over, like around eight million people have been displaced in Ukraine. Mm. It could have been far, far higher. And we do acknowledge that and this country would have, have even a greater problem. That's what we're trying to respond to the crisis as quickly and as effectively as we can. But it is a very, very challenging position that in terms of, as you know, and your listeners will know, in terms of supply chains and costs and trying to get the labour market to deliver these properties at such a rate that's required.
2: Right. Uh, Why are they able to do so much better in the Czech Republic? Uh, where there's 350,000 people or uh, in Poland uh, where they've taken there's in millions. I, I, just,
6: I just want to be clear I happen to stats for the Czech Republic yeah. and just to be clear to your listeners specifically I came on to talk about Creed Kona, how grant for bringing older vacant properties into use. You do. I happen to up-to-date stats from no, the okay. Czech Republic are no, responding that's fair enough. To yeah. immigration yeah. crisis yeah. and I hope more balanced people would appreciate
2: that. Oh, and yeah, absolutely. And uh, that is uh, completely accurate. You did come on to talk about this, uh, but uh, it, I mean, it does certainly tie in with a housing crisis, which ties in with the situation. And I'm sure you you, you appreciate uh, the logic behind the question, Minister.
6: Well, in relation to uh, the Creek Corner, it doesn't. What well, Creek Corner specifically is for owner occupiers who are looking to bring a derelict building that's in their town and village back into use. That's what's specifically given uh, people who are looking to buy it as their uh, full-time principal private resident the chance of realising that dream of it becoming their home.
2: Okay. Uh, and uh, it's from completely derelict up to refurbishment uh, grants of 30,000 up to 76,000 or, or uh, close to 78,000 I, I think as uh, the case may be if you include uh, the uh, retrofitting of uh, the home as well. Minister, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. That's uh, Fidegal TD for Longford Westmeath and Minister of State at the Department of Housing Peter Burke. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, the cost of living is uh, through the roof. Uh, Another increase in the CPI announced by the CSO yesterday. And what is being done to help people? The question put to the government so many times over recent weeks is, why not have an emergency budget? Uh, Well, we've been told that there's many reasons not to have an emergency budget. The main one is, it's going to get an awful lot worse before it gets better and when we get into the winter if you think it's bad now wait till you see what's coming down the line and that's when you'll be needing the help and the uh, and the actual budget when it's delivered in September will uh, be uh, the appropriate way of dealing with it and it'll have uh, the time and space in advance uh, to make targeted measures there are the arguments so what do you do if you can't make ends meet now well you've been told as you know over and over go to your community welfare officer there's an interesting thing about uh, the community welfare officer uh, because uh, this was raised in uh, the doll yesterday by Pierce Doherty. There's been no increase in the number of staff despite uh, how people have been told. Indeed, ads have been taken out advising you to go to your community welfare officer.
7: This was borne out when there was a, a surge of claims received arising from significant numbers of displaced people arriving from Ukraine. It is therefore anticipated that there is sufficient capacity within the CWS to manage the increased level of claims arising from the promotion of the additional needs payment during the recent advertising campaign.
2: Now, that's the Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphrey, saying that despite there being a lot more work to do, the same amount of staff can do all of that extra work. Pierce Doherty put it to the Minister that the very same people are under a lot of pressure
1: minister my office has been contacted by people who work on the front line in the administration of of these payments and they tell me that they are a breaking point uh, because of the understaffing and understaffing not just recently but that's been going on for quite a long time and the demands that have been placed on them. and It's not helped by ministers telling everybody who can't afford to put petrol in their car to run to the community welfare officer and everything will be fine. Uh, all, all the problems and, and the solutions seem to be pointing in the same direction. and It's left to those in the front line to actually break the news to them that uh, many of these statements are inaccurate, misleading or grossly exaggerated. Uh, those in the front line also claim that the recent introduction of the additional need payment was not communicated to them. The people who would be administering it until the day after it was announced to the public and this raises the question about how much thought how much preparation and planning had actually been put into it Uh, this payment and it's desperately needed we know by so many right across the country is is administered to them by this government and importantly uh, we need to ensure that it is administered to them in time
2: okay that's uh, Sinn Féin's spokesperson on finance Pierce Doherty let's hear the response from the minister can I just say
7: the additional needs payment is not a new scheme And it comes within the remit of the General Supplementary Welfare Allowance Scheme operational guidelines. A briefing note uh, for the information in relation to additional needs payment has been issued to all staff in the department and this sets out the rule of the community or sorry the role of the community welfare officers in assisting customers with the cost of living expenses. It directs the community welfare officers to use their discretionary powers in considering applications for additional needs payments and it places significant emphasis on assisting customers with cost of living expenses. Where there are household income guidelines, it has been emphasised to the CWS team in my department that these are guidelines only And the customer's need for assistance arising from difficulties in meeting increased costs for food, fuel, electricity and heating is the primary consideration. And the briefing note was augmented by a training webinar for all CWOs nationwide with the National CWS Management Team and a training bulletin to all CWS staff has issued in, to, in relation to the increased cost of living and the additional uh, needs payment.
2: The Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys. Uh, let's speak to local Sinn Féin councillor, Kevin Mean. And good morning to you, Kevin, and thanks indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. How is this working in practice? What are you hearing on the ground from people who go to the community welfare officer? Are they under pressure? And do they understand what people are entitled to?
8: Thanks, Meg, for having me on. Our, our impression is that uh, staff are under pressure, uh, and, um, and from our office, we have an excellent, an excellent, uh, an excellent uh, r- rapport with the staff there, and uh, we couldn't fault them for anything, to, to be honest. And uh, but we know they're under pressure. We know that uh, what was what said yesterday is true in terms of they're not always they're kept in the dark. These announcements are made, and uh, sometimes they just see them. Happened to see them, and uh, they know... They know as, and when when you would ring, they would say, I know as much about it as you do.
2: Yeah, but it was an online training webinar, the Minister said.
8: Yeah, and, and when was that held, or when was that done? Because, for example, I'm talking about this, this they say HAP announced a 35% increase. Uh, that was communicated uh, widely and covered in radios and various uh, media platforms. The staff, up until last week, weren't aware of who, how it applies... What the guidelines are, is it for new tenancies, is it for new applications? Mm. And they've been inundated with people, so it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing that goes through here, where, where from whatever department it comes through, they make the announcements, and there's not enough thought put into, or, uh, or how the staff are going to cope with these. And I would imagine, I would not like to be working in a community welfare office now, facing into the winter, because I would say it would be a breaking point, and probably at strike level, because. The, the resources wouldn't be there to cope with this because there's going to be an absolute avalanche. Uh, we're still in the summer time yet. We're not. We're, we're not even in the midst of 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 this storm making landfall here. Mm. It will in the next few weeks and, and coming months. And uh, I, w- I certainly would like to be working in, in that department at the moment.
2: Okay. Um, we heard the minister say that uh, if there's some basics that you can't afford, uh, whether that's your electricity bills or your fuel. Uh, they can go to the community welfare officer, and they will help you. Um, what's the experience of people that you're hearing from?
8: Again, it's it's uh, it's around people applying for stuff, and we're not sure if they're if they're eligible, and they can and they can get what they're what they're supposed to be. And there is uh, quite a time length in terms of process and stuff. Again, not through any faults in staff, but there is just with with the amount of queries that have come in. And, uh, Just back and up, up there, Kevin. The I'm sorry,
2: yeah. I'm sorry I, I didn't quite understand that. Uh, who's not sure if they're eligible?
8: No, in terms of when people apply, yeah. uh, and it's the same when people apply it, it, with the guidance. It seems to be that they're going back to check if
2: the staff, if, the uh, staff, the yeah, staff I'm I'm sure.
8: go back to check. Okay,
2: so this comes back to the issue of training. So they don't know what people are entitled to.
8: Well, the thing that they're looking for clarification, and that seems to be what's coming back from from ourselves. Right, they're, they're looking for clarification, and and to say it hasn't been completely inundated yet i would say at this stage but it, but it's but it, but it will be yeah. and uh, as i say it, it's it's uh, and there's a huge amount of things like we would have various people people who would maybe healthcare assistants who would have to get their cars fixed to get to work need yeah. need the car fixed to get to work and are applying for that also people maybe who have had a uh a fire at the home or, or various things like that or a boiler broke yeah. boiler bust doing and have to get things repaired for there's so many things coming in yeah
4: uh,
8: and so so many wide ranging aspects of people's lives who have been affected with different things that are mm. going to come in and I would say if say the staff aren't aware of all of them, Do you know I mean and how you cope with this how, how you would mm. and, and it's it's to me it's it's like like many of the other things that happen they are ill thought out you know I mean they're not done by people who are on the ground they' are passed on to people who are on the ground or passed on to people who are on the front line to to deal with this, but they haven't been consulted in this. Yeah. Like, surely, when you announce these things, you you do all your background stuff first. You prep your your staff. You make sure everything's ready for what's coming down the line. You don't just do it on some Friday at some uh, an announcement at some function. That's your a, that,
2: that's your impression, is it? That that's, yeah, yeah.
8: yeah. And, and that's 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 always. Been, that's, and I would have seen that through the years, but yeah. pr- particularly mm. more so now. And and and, and I, I as I say, the classic example was hap. Hap was announced, yeah. and the staff weren't able to tell us. That if the thirty five percent was for a new tenancy, or when it was coming in, what date it was coming in? And mm. they were snowed on. there were people who were ringing, looking to to find out when this thirty five percent is. And what 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 is it for? The, well, the, well, if you're in community, if you're in social welfare, you're entitled mm. to twenty percent top up in yeah. terms of your HAP. Uh, they increased it to thirty five percent, but they didn't give a date and they didn't give a description. Is it for new tenancies or new applications?
2: Okay, and, uh, uh, and you have, you, have you been able to find out?
8: Uh, just only this morning that uh, it seems to be for new tenancies only for new, new applications nice. and, and, and where you have at the moment and I would have I've been on the list for a while for, for example new tenancies if we have a lot of people who have to be out of their existing tenancy or their existing um, mm. place where they reside they have to, they're they have now in the process of looking for somewhere else to, to move to mm. uh, the 35% will dictate if they can move to a certain place or yeah. the 20% will, will say no you, that you can't because everything is rising up
2: yeah, because you just don't have a... a and enough, you haven't got yeah, that.
8: And, kind of and in fairness, yeah. the yeah. half staff have been excellent. They have a great working relationship with them. And they could not tell mm. us. And we're asking, if we found out, could we let them know? Mm. Because I said I would check to our, our yeah. Deputy, Rory we Amorica, to see. And it's actually he had told me this morning that, that he didn't. Uh, that it's, it seems to be for new tenancies, okay. not new applications. Okay. But, but again, it goes back to the point. Yeah. You need to prep your staff. You mm. need to make sure that they have the proper resources there uh, mm. and that they're fully up to date with, with everything and prep them that we mm. want to announce this next week. This is coming mm. down the line. And what about, so, these,
2: uh, what about these additional needs payments? Did uh, the community welfare officers themselves not see the ads?
8: Well, they would see the ads, but it's like anything else. It, 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 they, and they are just given this probably. I, I don't mm. know how it works in, in terms of in there. I don't know anyone closely enough to know. To, to explain as and how it pans out to them, mm. but based reading between the lines, they generally see it when it's announced, I mean, or, or maybe told the day before mm. that it's going to be announced. And it's like maybe some type of memo sent down to the staff to say mm. that there will be announced it made on Friday in regards to 35%. That's mm-hmm. nice, and there, and and in some cases, they're probably saying that's fine because yeah. that will help us with the counter. And then they're left in the dark. For maybe weeks on end, not yep. knowing so, how, how you put this out. In the meantime, the, the people are on the on the phone straight away. They're in their applications.
2: Mm-hmm. So if you go up to the community welfare officer in Dundalk and say uh, the exhaust has fallen off me car, I need a new exhaust because uh, I need to go to work in Dublin. If I don't get it repaired, I am going to lose my job. Um, can you help me? Uh, the response you are telling us is they'll tell you that they really don't know if you are entitled to be paid for the repair uh, and they need to go and check they need to ring Dublin uh, and then they'll call whoever it is in Dublin and then they'll have to check with somebody else to see what the policy is and come back and what kind of a delay would there be like would you have lost your job in the meantime
8: yeah you could have because there's no time scale on this they can't turn around and say okay we'll have an answer back I would imagine within two weeks or four weeks you're you're waiting to see how this Mm. pans out or and, and, and there's no and, and that was mentioned yesterday as well the, the time from application to payment needs to be clarified too, so that people know then if this is not going to come true, I have to change my circumstances here mm-hmm. I have to uh, sell this car or look for a new job or do whatever
6: mm-hmm.
8: but if you, if you don't know if it's going to be uh, two weeks or four months Mm. Uh, and, and I then like the witness you do get in some other departments no. and,
2: and do people know that you can go in and ask for money to get your car repaired or to get your boiler fixed or whatever I mean to be honest with you I haven't seen the ads
8: no I, I've, I've heard them a few times on the radio mm-hmm. and I would safely say very very few know about them at this stage uh, because a lot of times uh, communication isn't great that way, mm. but people will people tend to hear from other people. Oh, I went in and they got this because mm. oh, I didn't know you can do that. Yeah. And word of mouth will spread that quicker than anything. Right. And once that spreads around, I so that's why I was saying earlier. Yeah. I think we are on. Uh, as I say, this hasn't made landfall yeah. fall yet.
2: What, what else can you claim for? If you go up at your ESB bill and say I don't have any money, um, can you claim for that? Uh, will they pay you? Will they ask to see your bank account, or how does all of that work?
8: Yeah, I, I would imagine that if somebody comes into our office now and they've come in and said we've had a gas boiler broke at home and uh, it's ruined the beds and everything else that we would put in for that and I couldn't say for sure I couldn't say to that person that you will get this Doing mm. mean, and what the what the protocols will be? Will they look for bank statements? Well, knowing mm. I mean, how, how to do that. So again, because it's only new as well. To be fair, it's 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 a new system, but we're not fully up to speed in mm. how it works. But, but the, is, the that, what, is that is that what
2: you is, suggest? Sorry, sorry, Kevin. Is that what you yeah. suggest? to people that uh, they don't go directly to the community welfare officer; that they go to someone like yourself or another local representative. A lot of people do to get steered. Yeah, a lot, steered, a lot yeah. of people do because yeah. your faith
8: uh, again is form filled. It's a basic thing. People are uncomfortable not confident or comfortable sometimes filling in forms, mm. so they would come in to us and say, "Is this true? How would they go about that?" Mm. And and staff in, in this our constituency office and others mm. too. Uh,
2: all, to, all the councillors probably. Yeah, would we help, we yeah, do the yeah, same. Yeah.
8: It's not the same, and you do as best as you can, as best to your ability, and uh, and you take that sort that sore fear of people, and and you, and you help them along with, it. And, and then you put in. But we can't say for sure if you're going to be successful here or not. So. Uh, mm. And, and again it, it, but it, it going back to the point as well about the staff the staff that work there I would imagine they're going to be in the next few months coming into September for example when mm. you back to school and you've all that that's going yeah. to be horrendous for staff working there
2: so back to school um a, a new right. cooker if your if your cooker broke down or your washing machine um could you go and look for help with that sort of thing
8: we, we i would be my, i would be telling people here yes you, i would be Would be my uh it would be my recommendation yeah. or i would be saying that we apply for that if somebody comes in here that you would be applying for that
2: and you don't you, you don't need to be unemployed do you
8: no, you don't need to be on the As far as I'm aware. it's for exceptional. It's for it's mm. it's for basically payments that are uh, to say that it has had a major impact on your life that you cannot cope with. Right. Uh, it, 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 it's really an extra burden or unforeseen burden that has happened. And, and as you said, she covers the main ones there yeah. in terms of heating, mm. heating lighting and
2: food yeah. and transport. This this is like what the government is saying, is instead of a, a, an emergency budget but it, it's an odd thing, is it not, to ask working people to go looking for welfare?
8: Yeah, well, the fact is a lot of people are, are, are like, and we, we deal with a lot of people who are working and, and most people, for example, think that everybody in Hap's not working. A lot of people in are working, but they can't make. They're they're struggling with the rent that they're paying, so and com they're, they're being completely squeezed, and uh, and then they have no money, no disposable income, and then with and with the increase in in the fuel, which is only probably only possibly the tip of the iceberg, because it could get a whole lot worse through uh, through the winter, as what's what's been flagged up. Uh, so like, they, they, and we would find a lot more coming into us who wow. are working, who are struggling. And who are struggling to to meet their their energy costs? Yeah. and we're not even into into winter time where energy costs you use more and it'll go up higher. Okay, it will be cost more.
2: Okay, Kevin, uh, you're you're dealing with this all the time. Uh, maybe I can ask you about iPads before um, you go because somebody's texting saying they know somebody who has twins. They're going into secondary school. They need uh, an iPad each at a cost of €500 euro each. They went to the community welfare officer and the community welfare officer told them, we don't do iPads. Uh, what's your understanding of that or have you any advice for that, Lister?
8: Yeah, we, we, we haven't. But again, that, that's something that does come in here. I, I, I would imagine that's only one of the, the new things that's coming up now in September. Uh, I, I have a daughter who's just left school and iPads are a major part of your education at this stage. Mm. So, and uh, you need them for, wherever you're even researching at home and, uh, teachers liaising with their kids at home—they're they're a crucial part, and you need them, and they're is, there is essential. Yeah. I would say.
2: Well, that uh, I, I, I'm just wondering—is that the community welfare officer not understanding what the listener is entitled to? Yeah,
8: it may it may be. So I, go back say, to them. Is right, it? There's just so many things. Yeah. That this is, this that this could cover.
2: Yeah. Maybe. Like, where maybe, do you draw may, the maybe that listener should be speaking to a local councillor and seeking advice that way.
8: Yeah, and, and that we would put the rep in, that's normally what happens and it's could sit us off we'd normally put through our deputy too and, and and into yeah. the department
3: directly.
2: Yeah, well, they, now, so. well there well there's no way they could uh give you a, a rational explanation for helping people to buy school books if they won't help them to buy iPads that are necessary to go to school.
8: Yeah, yeah. and as I say it, it, it's it's there, it's there's there's just so many things that you could be applying for so many... We, we get such a wide range of people coming into this office for a wide variety yeah. of things that you'd never think of. There are, ne- there are uh, necessities in their life, Joe, because they may have some type of uh, illness or yeah. issues at home. There's a huge amount of huge amount of things. A phone? And, uh, it's so, uh, the, and what comes back is so vague yeah. that you don't know, does it cover it, does it not cover it? You, you, you put in for it in the hope that it does... And right. in a lot of cases, it doesn't, and that's how we tend to find out how the system works.
2: All right, um, <laughs> I'm lost for words.
8: Yeah, yeah, and, and, and again, yeah. as I say, it's 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 uh, it, it, you can maybe sit in a constituency office someday yeah. and see the the just see the volume of stuff that comes in and um. the wide ranging stuff comes in I, and, and then you're left to see if, wait, what do we do with this I don't know how do you, know you have how any hair left
2: I don't know how you have any hair left Kevin Yeah, yeah there's
8: yeah, not a lot yeah. of guidance out there yeah, so yeah.
2: yeah as I say I don't know what to say but thanks for talking to us yeah. uh, and talking us uh, through that uh, it's uh, very interesting uh, uh, I think uh, it's probably the best words I can go up with for the moment uh, but thanks uh, for joining us uh, I think there's a lot of people who are going to be very interested in what you had to say and that uh, there are things that they are entitled to that perhaps they've been told they're not entitled to and maybe they would seek out the advice of a, a local councillor the community welfare officers as you said are, are going to be inundated going into the winter I have a feeling local councillors are going to be inundated going into the winter for that matter thanks a million Kevin for joining thank us thank you morning. that's Champagne uh, councillor Kevin Meenan
4: Michael. Read on
2: LMFM. Now, Martina Barr, if you're listening, thanks very much uh, for your email. I, I got it this morning and just to mention to you uh, we asked the County Council for a statement uh, on uh, the blessing of uh, the graves in St. Patrick's uh, Cemetery. Uh, we haven't heard back from the Council as yet and we asked uh, the PP, well actually we uh, didn't manage to make contact with uh, the PP uh, unfortunately, so I'll just read uh, Martina's email now and she's says, I'm writing concerning Louth County Council's decision to ban all cars from entering St. Patrick's Cemetery on Sunday for the blessing of the graves. My sister spoke to a member of the council earlier today who confirmed that all cars are banned regardless of age or disability of the passengers. I think it's a disgraceful decision to make considering it's a a very large graveyard and people with disabilities and the elderly are not fit to walk that distance. My mother is in her seventies and she's definitely not able to walk uh, to the back of uh, the graveyard from the front gate. Uh, This has greatly upset her and she's just not going to be able to attend now. I'm fully aware that they probably made this decision based on the incident that took place the last time the blessings were held in 2019 but that's no reason to penalize people or stop people that are not fit to walk a long distance from going to the blessings of the graves if someone is going to cause trouble uh, they're going to do it regardless if they're in a car or not this mass and the blessing is very important to a lot of people and they've every right to be there at their loved ones graveside for it that county council should be ashamed of themselves for this selfish and unfair decision that they've made. It's not the elderly or people who have disabilities that will cause any trouble, but they're the ones who are being penalised. They're banned from attending the Mass uh, and I'd appreciate it if you'd highlight this matter as it's going to affect a lot of people, says Martina Barr. Thanks, as I say, for writing to us, Martina. We did try to contact, well, we did contact the Council uh, and uh, we're waiting for a statement from them, which I don't think we've received yet uh, and we haven't been able to uh, make contact uh, with the parish priest. as yes. Uh, Denise is in Drogheda and uh, she's been on the phone to us. Denise says, if you have the money in this country, you can do anything you want. But unfortunately, if you're struggling to put food on the table, you haven't a hope of being able to avail of this opportunity of going overboard. Uh, overseas, over to Spain uh, to have surgery carried out because you just haven't got the dos. he says. Our health system is a disgrace. <laughs> Uh, Another comment uh, that has come to us uh, from Paddy and Kells, he says it seems to him that Michal Martin is travelling all around Europe, like the Emperor of Europe or something, and he's overloading us with people from Ukraine. He should stay at home, in Paddy's opinion, and travel around the country and get to see a number of people who can't get houses here. At the moment, he, he seems to be the Taoiseach of Europe rather than the Taoiseach of Ireland thanks uh, for that. Uh, I think uh, the Taoiseach represents uh, the people of Ireland overseas when he travels overseas Paddy and Fairness. Uh, Tommy in touch with uh, with us uh, about uh, the refugee situation he says that surely there are enough ghost estates and vacant properties around this country that can be made habitable quickly to be able to house those coming into the country. It's unforgivable to think that people are having to sleep at the airport or sleep in tents. These people are fleeing for their lives and they deserve to feel safe. Safe and protected when they get here. If the government cannot guarantee a safe and decent place to live, then maybe they need to stop allowing people to come here for a while until they can live up to the promise to offer refuge, safe refuge. Thanks, Paddy or Tommy, for that. Uh, Sarah in touch too, and Sarah says, it's very easy for public representatives and government ministers to tell people to go to your community welfare officer for help. It's just a way of fobbing people off. Are overpaid TDs and ministers cannot really comprehend how financially stretched a lot of people are right now, and how they are literally living from hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck every week. Well, thanks uh, for sharing that with us, and thanks to everybody who's been in touch with us so far today.
4: Michael, Michael
2: Reed on LMFM. Now, well, to a uh, very unusual topic on this program, or indeed in this country for that matter, how to cope with the heat grania lockran is a senior policy advocacy officer with uh, the charity alone good morning to you grania and thank you indeed for joining us we're in for some marvelous weather and indeed some very hot weather with soaring temperatures and you're asking people to look in on older relatives and neighbors and indeed advising older people to keep cool and hydrated over the coming days
9: Good morning, Michael. Yes, thank you for having us on. Um, yeah, as we know, uh, we've been experiencing some warm weather recently and some more to come. Um, we have had a high temperature advisory notice from uh for the 15th to the 19th of July. And that's been raised now today to a status yellow warning on Sunday. So we'll be expecting temperatures potentially in the twenty-seven to thirty-degree range, which is something that we're not used to mm-hmm. uh, in this country, um, and we're not always prepared for it. So what we're reminding older people to do is to take the time over the next day or two before the real hot weather kicks in to plan for the hot weather and to make sure that they're uh, that they're ready for They have any equipment, all the water they need. And calling on members of the public as well to check in on older people to ensure they're keeping safe in the heat.
2: Yeah, and to stay out of the sun um, uh, if possible or wear sun cream and if you're indoors to create a draft to stay cool and not to have heavy clothes on.
9: Yeah, exactly. Um, I suppose older people and people with chronic conditions they can be more vulnerable uh, to the heat. They're less able to maintain core body temperature. So there's a couple of things that are real that are really important for older people to do. Things like you've mentioned there. Um, if you can, to minimise your time outdoors between 11 in the morning and three o'clock, when the sun's at its hottest and the highest. Uh, like you mentioned, keep your home cool and create the draft. Um, and to be aware as well that even if it's overcast sunburn can still occur Mm. so keep the sun cream on um, and drink plenty of water as well Uh, one thing we're advising people to do is keep container water in the fridge just in case water pressure is reduced or restricted as we know there hasn't been much rain over the last few weeks as well. That's
2: a very good idea Uh, and uh, indeed if you feel terribly tired or if you're in a bad humour and you don't know why over the weekend it could just be that you're dehydrated and you need to drink more water.
9: That's exactly it and uh, to be aware as well of things like heat stroke and things that can occur mm. um, with that lack of hydration um, to uh, to notice any symptoms you might have nausea, dizziness, exhaustion, that mm. kind of thing and uh, keep drinking those cool drinks as well uh, to keep hydrated to keep in out of the heat and keeping out of the sun, I suppose to like mm. stay in the shade if you are outdoors. Yeah. So there's yeah. a lot of things that people can do, especially uh, to when you have the reminder yeah. in the days leading up to the hot weather. Yeah. To, and, ha- to
2: weather. Ha- and have an ice cream,
9: <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, the uh, most important. <laughs> yeah,
2: and enjoy it, enjoy it as best you can. Don't overheat uh, and uh, and enjoy the good weather because it, it will be lovely uh, if uh, we manage to stay cool through it. I think the experience uh, of people uh, who are used to these temperatures is that they've air conditioning and that's something that we don't have here uh, a good draft if you've windows open at both ends of the house uh, and light clothes uh, can be a, a godsend and do remember to drink plenty of water listen Grania, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, and we'll ask people to make sure that uh, they do check in on elderly neighbours and friends as well over the coming days Grania Lockran is a Senior Policy Advocacy Officer with the charity uh, Alone let me bring you some more of the comments uh, coming to us uh, this morning because there's been So many people in touch with us today. Hi, Michael, says Michelle in who's texting in relation to the Ukrainian refugees at Gormanston Army Camp. Well, hi, Michelle. Uh, Michelle says, I walk or I run the beach at Gormanston and the army have weekly shooting practice and flyovers at the camp over the beach. Surely this would be very frightening for people fleeing a war zone. Yeah, I, I presume, I hope they'll cancel them. Uh, I did hear a story, and I remember mentioning it on uh, air before, Michelle, about a group of Ukrainian refugees who were staying in a, a community centre and the fire alarm went off. I think there were helicopters nearby, first of all, and there was complete panic. And then later, a fire alarm went off and it was complete panic uh, because uh, they've just come from a uh, terrible place in the world where they've seen terrible things. So I think you have a, a, a very valid point there and one that we will raise... Uh, with politicians uh, next week on the programme. Indeed, we'll put a a call into the Defence Forces uh, this morning to ask if uh, the shooting practice and flyovers at the camp will be cancelled whilst the camp is accommodating refugees. It's a very, very valid point. I imagine it is the case, but uh, I suppose we can uh, be foolish enough to make assumptions. She also says, another very valid point as well, I think, Michelle, she says, I think the appearance of army staff in uniform could be frightening as well. A horrible reminder to what the Ukrainian people have just fled from. And she finishes her text by saying, eh, with a big question mark. Thanks, Michelle. I do appreciate um, your comment. Uh, Joan in touch with us, asking if uh, the government need to get their house in order first by catering for all of us in hospitals efficiently and safely. It was bad when Mary Harney was around and not much has changed. Now we have an influx of extra people to cater for. Instead, they want us to go abroad to have procedures carried out. People have to go back for their checkup, What about things going wrong, like infections and so on? Well, as I understand it, you come back into the Irish Health Service, uh, Joan. She also says, uh, as far as I know, you only get a percentage of the operation fee set out by the HSE. Well, they pay for the complete procedure, as long as it's not more expensive than it would cost the HSE to carry out the procedure here. Uh, But you do have to pay for your own accommodation and your travelling costs and so on. But she goes on to say, why put more into an army for peacekeeping abroad when we need hospitals, nurses, doctors and so on here first. Simon Coveney said yesterday, we are a rich country. I thought we were. Over €241 billion euro in debt before COVID started. The government needs to wake up to reality. Uh, thank you indeed, uh, Joan, uh, and uh, for the kind comments uh, that uh, I got from you as well that I won't go into. Margaret, thanks for your text as always. Margaret says, what a slap in the face for Meath patients from the HSE and the government with the announcement of a brand new hospital opening in Spain to cater for patients from Ireland. Irish patients going to Spain in a brand new hospital. The HSE hasn't stopped telling us that the a and D in Navan is unsafe. Well, how safe is it for patients to get on a plane and sit for hours after surgery? What if someone develops a clot on board? Well, will there be a doctor on hand to treat the patient? I doubt it. No money for Navin, but plenty for Spain, says Margaret. Thank you indeed, Margaret. I was waiting for your text or a text uh, to that uh, effect from somebody. Thanks, as I say, for making that point on the programme. That's our programme for this week. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye.
1: The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie.
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.